Let's ask the Lord to have his way the remainder of this service. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to come together to be here with the wonderful students here of Urshan and all those who have come to attend this conference. Lord, we know your word is already anointed. It's your word. God, I pray that you'd anoint me to preach your word, that we'd have ears, hearts to receive your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It's to order our steps. I pray that you would help me to share that burden tonight. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. God bless you. You may be seated. Israel was brought out of Egypt by the mighty hand of the one true God. Amen. No doubt was left about who the one true God was. Plagues, parting seas. They came out baptized into the cloud, into the sea, informing the entire world that there is no king and there's no God like Yahweh. He, as a king of this new nation, had gone in, a family of 70 came out of a nation, began to establish his nation, the nation of Israel. He organized it according to his specific desired structure. And so over it was a prophet leader named Moses. And eventually there were the prophets and judges, high priests. He had a military commander named Joshua. And then, of course, it was broken down in the 12 tribes of Israel, the sons of Jacob. Rulers of the thousands and hundreds, fifties and ten. And so they come out and begin to structure them. The law is given on Sinai developing them into a nation that would be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation that would represent him and reflect his glory throughout the world. Of course, there's nothing more exciting than when they begin to possess the land of Jericho after 40 years in the wilderness, and they begin to possess the promises of God. It's always exciting to possess the promises of God, beginning with possessing the land, a day of truly of Shock and awe as the walls fall and Israel is handed an incredible victory and they begin to inhabit homes that they did not build and pull fruit from vineyards they did not plant and they begin to grow and expand and to possess the land. They became the envy of the ancient world at that time. The, this people that had God that went before them and rested with them, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night who brought Manna from the heavens, bread from the heavens, and quail brought water out of rocks, sustained his people. What a God and what a relationship he had with his people. They would grow and become the envy and the golden years. But the question is, with God bringing them out and delivering them in such a powerful, dynamic way, with them taking a land that, that had walls and cities and armies and yet with the power of God, many times without drawing the sword, walls falling flat, victories came. How, how did they eventually backslide and go into captivity and lose it all? Go back into the captivity just like he had brought them from. The first time they had sort of chosen to go there through Joseph and it was a plane of provision. But the second time that they would go into exile, it was because of idolatry, because they had lost their way. They had lost their love for the things of God. How does it happen that you can be such a great height with God as your king, and yet it could crash to where nothing would be left? I mean, I think it goes back, and, and this, of course, is my theory, is to 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter. 
The Bible talks about the elders of Israel are gathered together. And they bring Samuel. In verse 5 it says, look, you're old. <laughs> That's probably not the best way to start a conversation right there. Your sons do not walk in your ways. And notice this. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. He said, they said, we, we just sort of want to be like everybody else. Make us a king to judge us like all of the other nations. Of course, this thing's displeased Samuel. Verse 7 says, the Lord said to Samuel, heed to their voice. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. See, Samuel was not king. He, he was a prophet. And, and God was king. He began to let them know. That they're rejecting me. He said, but forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king that will reign over them. Verse 18 of 1 Samuel 8 says it like this. And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. He says, this is what you're wanting. You're wanting to be like everybody else. You're wanting to be like the rest of the world. You're wanting to go out from under my covering, under my umbrella, my covenant, and be like the rest of the world. You're going to be able to do that. But I want you to know that when you get what you wanted, there is going to come a day where you're going to weep and cry because of it. I won't hear you in that day. I wonder, what was it about the surrounding nations that made Israel say, we want to be like them? What was it? I mean, kings in the ancient world often had limitless power and authority. They were believed to have been lowered from the gods, sort of the way to structure the earth, vice regent for the divine ruler. And when you look at it, what was it when they saw the, the, the nations around them that made them want to be like that? You see, Samuel was not their king. He was a prophet. And prophets, in stark contrast with kings, do not speak their own words and build their own kingdom. Prophets speak the word of the Lord and they build his kingdom. There is a vast difference. Vast difference. In fact, judges, this is what Gideon said in verse 23. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my sons rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. There was this understanding that when they were brought out, they were brought out by the mighty hand of God. And Pharaoh was not their king, but Yahweh was their king. He was their Lord. Everybody else filled and fulfilled roles, but he was king. And he says, here's what's going to happen when you go the way of the world and you go after what they have. He says, he's going to take your sons. He's going to take the next generation. He's going to take your sons and they're going to be his charioteers and horsemen, runners and soldiers. He's going to use them to plow his guard, gardens and grounds and to reap his harvest. They, they will make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He says, your daughters, they'll take them and they'll be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He says, he's going to take your land. He's going to take all of these things. And there is going to come a day when you're going to cry out because you got what you went after. You became like the world. Wow. And it happened. It happened. For Saul, David, Solomon, the fourth king, Rehoboam, the kingdom is divided. They, they come to him just like it said. They're talking about how difficult it had been and how hard Solomon had been. And here's what Rehoboam said. My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips. I will do it with scourges. It, it got 
to the place that they began to cry out because of bondage, because of the, the weight of the yoke. They got a king to judge them. Notice that. They said, we want a king like the other nations to judge us and to fight our battles. Really? How deceived do you have to be to say to the Yahweh that brought you out and parted the seas and parted the river and, and did all of these to say, no, 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 we would rather they fight our battles. How deceived do you have to be? But when you start wanting to be like the world, you will be deceived as was mentioned today. And so it happened. The monarchy was a travesty in Israel. I, I know we like to talk about David. We like to do everything David did, right? Sing like he did, play like he did, dance like he did. Uh, and, and there's some bright spots and some, some, some positive things, but it, it was horrific if you really look at, at the kings because that was never God's plan. God's plan was that he was the king. <laughs> and, and so it's a travesty, and eventually there's idolatry, and, and Israel, northern kingdoms would go in the 700, 722, 586. Uh, Jerusalem would be conquered, and the walls would come down, and the temple would be destroyed. And the nation that had been so great and had built such an edifice to God, it would lay there in ruins. And they would go, and they wouldn't know how to worship because everything with the covenant was tied to land, it was tied to the tabernacle, they would hang their hearts on the wall. How can we do this in a strange land? We don't know what to do. Wow. How do you fall that, fall that far? When you walk away and you see the tabernacle in ruins. The fall of Zion. Centuries later, in the New Testament, the vision that was cast by the Lord by Yahweh in Genesis 3 would come to pass. The seed of the woman would overcome death in the grave. He would triumph openly, disarming and making a public spectacle of principalities and powers. And God would deliver a new people, a, a nation that was going to be a kingdom of priests as well. A holy nation. A king. They would fulfill where Israel had fallen short. It would be the bride of Christ without spot or wrinkle or in any such thing. And man, what a delivering power that was when we came through the sea and through the cloud. When we were born again of water and of the spirit. Is there anybody that's still thankful for that day when you are baptized in the only name under heaven given among men whereby you must must be saved when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues for that very first initial time. I want you to know I'm so thankful that he is a deliverer. He is a savior. This was what the Lord would do. And, and, and the transformation is evident as you see the church begin to become this holy nation set apart to the Lord. God who had brought them out and, and those who had once denied Jesus would then preach his word without fear or favor. Would stand boldly and preach the word of God. And in Acts 2, 120 in an upper room and then 3,000, Acts 4, 5,000. And then daily are added to the church, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. You talk about a kingdom expansion. The church is the kingdom that Israel would never get up to be. The church is the one that's going to be eternally with him. The bride of Christ brought out by the spirit of God. Baptized in his name. His blood applied. Circumcised with the circumcision without hands. The church of the living God. 
and, and expanded. It fulfilled Acts 1 and 8. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And the Apostle Paul, who had played such a major role in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth with his three missionary journeys between Acts 12 and 28. He concludes his life in Rome. His life would come to an end. And Acts would end with Luke recording these words. Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house. He received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. Here's how Paul, how Acts, after it's fulfilled, how Luke lets you know that what they set out to do by the acts of the Spirit has come to pass. And I want you to know when it's done, when we leave Paul, he's preaching the gospel. He's teaching the doctrine because he has full confidence. Full confidence in it. You see, Luke is stating that Paul would give his life to fulfilling the great commission to go to make disciples, to preach the gospel, to teach the doctrine, to teach them to observe all things that he had been commanded and that Paul would give his life to doing so. And he said that he did this with, and I emphasize, all confidence. Paul openly and boldly with all confidence stood strong on the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm going to give my entire life to preaching the gospel and teaching the doctrine. I have full confidence in it. In his letter to the Romans, he shares why. Romans 1, 15. I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also, because this is where I, what I do everywhere I go. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Wow. He says, I have full confidence in this. He says, I preach it, I teach it with all confidence. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone but who believes. You see, Paul was in there in Rome and he was not intimidated by the philosophies and the religions of Rome because he knew, he knew what would work. He knew what the answer was and that was to preach the gospel and teach the doctrine. I preach the gospel and I teach the doctrine. Why? Because this is what is the power of God. I'm here to talk about the power of God tonight, and I want you to know what it is. It's when we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's when we teach the apostolic doctrine. You don't get any more powerful than when you open up the word of God and you begin to proclaim what thus saith the word. It's not my words. It's his words. I'm not the king. He's the king. I'm here to preach his word, to build his kingdom, but there is power in the word of God. Paul would be there in Athens, Mars Hill, and he would be provoked when he saw that the city was given over to all kinds of idols. And you know what he did? When there, everywhere he looked, there was idolatry. Here's what he did. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The Bible says that when they heard of the resurrection of the dead. Why? Because when Paul preached, he preached Christ and him crucified and the resurrection and the gospel. When they heard of it, there's some that walked away. There were some that believed. But he says, this is what I do. Whether I'm in Greece, whether I'm in Rome, wherever I go, I preach the gospel because it's the power of God. There's not power in any other way. Any other way. Power of the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what works. This power, this dunamis. Uh, Paul, Paul didn't have dynamite in his mind. That, that wouldn't be invented for like 1,800 years more. <laughs> and anyway, there's a lot of things that can blow up things into pieces in our world. But the power he's talking about is not the power to take whole things and blow them up. No, 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 no. He's talking about the power that can do something much bigger than that. There's a lot of power out there that can blow things up. But he says the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ can take all kind of pieces and make them whole again. Now that is power. You can have your destructive power all that you want. But when you start preaching the gospel, when you start teaching the doctrine, pieces start coming together again. Ezekiel, here's what I want you to do. Proclaim the word of God and bone by bone, sinew and muscle, life begins to come. Why? Because it is the power of God when we preach the gospel. Hallelujah. It takes things that are broken and makes them whole. It takes those who are dead in their trespasses and sin and makes them alive again. It makes them new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things become new. It is the power of God to salvation. The power of God to salvation. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God. Not ashamed. Comfortable with it. I'm confident, fully confident in it. Why? Because it works. This is God's power. This is how it works. Paul would say to the Corinthians, where's the wise? 1 Corinthians 1.20. Where's the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached. It pleased God through the message preached to save those who believe. The Jews, they want a sign. The Greeks are after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. We know what they want, but we don't give them what they want because there's no power in what they want. Our confidence is in the gospel. To Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ. The power of God and the wisdom of God. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. That no flesh should glory in his presence. He would go on to say. Paul is saying, yes, the Jews, they want a sign. The Greeks want, uh, they, they, they seek after wisdom. And, and they think this is foolishness. And there's a, a scandal, a stumbling block for those of the Jews. But he says, we continue to preach. And why do we continue to preach? Why do I give my ministry to preaching? Why at the end of my life, the last thing? 
things I'm doing is preaching and teaching. Why? Because it is the only power of God. It is the power of God to salvation. And listen, when the church preached, it happened. It worked. People repented of their sins. They were baptized in his name. They were filled with his spirit. The churches began to grow 120 and 3,000 and 5,000 and daily. It worked. The church grew to the ends of the earth. They filled cities with their doctrine. That's what they did. But if we're not careful, we will follow the bad example. Paul said also in 1 Corinthians 10, talking about Israel, with most of them God was not well pleased. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. They became our examples to the intent that we should no longer lust or epithumia, desire after evil things as they desired. The tragedy that took place with Israel time and time again is because instead of embracing God's word, God's law, and God's ways, they said, no, we think we want to be like them. We think we want to be like them over there. And they pursued other things than the lordship of Christ. Because the lordship of Christ is always a dividing point. There will be many that will say, Lord, Lord, have we not? But the lordship, submission, Will Mancini has been at coaching, coaching pastors and serving as a church consultant for 20 years. And I, I read him uh, a few months ago sharing some concerns that he's observed after two decades. He said he, he got to thinking that if people are going to be saved, then we just need to get good at evangelism. He said what he started noticing in churches is the wheel of ministry is being pulled hard, hard to the ditch of human effort. Like a car with a bad tire is what he said. Thousands of churches, he said, have believed that, that the, the, the gospel is just not enough. He says they're falling to one of four Ps. The first one is place. They think the building or the location or the facility and all of that is what will build the church. Or, or the personality of the leader, that, that the preacher or the leader would just have that right personality, that charismatic personality. Or the programs, the various activities of the church. If we can get the right programs, if we can meet everybody's desires, what everybody wants in a consumer age. Or people. And he says they're... Under the idea that if we can be relevant in all of these areas, we can attract people to church and then we can build the church. And this is what he said. This is not an apostolic. He said relevance is always in the eye of the consumer. And the consumer's eye always wonders. You see, consumers, once they have that desire met, then they start looking for something else. And in the church, it means that the church is reacting to our world. Because just like it did in Samuel's day, people start looking around and saying, why can't we be like them? And why can't we be like them? And why can't we do it like that? He says it's embodied in the things we give. We do to give people what they want. 
or what they think they want or what we would want if we were in their shoes. And if we do all of that, eventually they'll say, you know what, by the way, we also want Jesus. So here are some of the lists of the things he compiled of things that churches do to build the church, get people in. Amazing visual brand and savvy social media. A stellar communicator, preacher or teacher, whichever term you want to use. A next step class to your dream team and volunteer corps. The perfect mix of demographics. Baristas serving sustainable coffee. Intellectual thought-provoking services. Uber cool kids ministry that your children can't wait to attend. VIP parking with gifts for guests. Heart pumping opening worship with a face melting band. Magnificent choir backed by an orchestra of virtuosos. Prime piece of real estate in the community. Topical preaching. Expository preaching. Suit and tie preacher. Skinny jeans preacher. Just enough pop culture references in the sermon. Advanced lighting, visible tattoos, vintage liturgy, staff with advanced degrees, staff with no degrees, staff with a past, youth sports leagues, art displayed on every wall. And he goes through the list. And there's nothing wrong with a lot of these things except they do not have the power of God. I'm a pastor. I believe I'm to be a good steward. I believe I should do everything I can with all these things to, to be the best we can. People, programs, all of it. I, I sweat over those things like every other pastor. However, the key word is rely on these things. The key word is thinking that some of these things are going to see somebody born again. That some of these things are going to bring somebody into the church. And can I tell you, it's not working. 62% of all churches in America are having no growth or, or in decline, according to the U.S. Religious Landscape Study. 65, more than 30% of churchgoers say they have never felt God's presence during a service. They might have been touched emotionally. They might have had a good program, but never felt the presence of God. More than 2 million people have left the American church every year for the last seven years. Between 2006 and 2018, the percentage of the U.S. population calling them Christians has decreased from 83% to 70%. One-third of evangelicals say they attend church out of obligation. 50% of those in church last Sunday cannot remember a single spiritual insight. 23% of the American adult population is now religiously unaffiliated or categorized as nuns. The nuns are now the second largest religious group in the United States. 58% of Americans express little or no confidence in religion. A place where Christianity exploded and, and we talk about the move of God throughout our nation. But what is happening is we're walking away and we're looking back and we're seeing the smoke that's coming from the tabernacle.
Because somehow we got so focused on trying to persuade people and they get to talk to people and they get what they wanted and what they desired that we started relying on other things beside the gospel. Have it all. Do the best that you can. But what you better rely on is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if you want the power of God, there's only one way it comes. And it comes when a preacher gets up and starts to proclaim, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified, freed me forever. One day he's coming back and it's going to be a glorious day. This is the gospel. This is the love of God. This is the power of God. If we want power in our services, we won't get it any other way outside of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we want a move of God in our services, it doesn't come any other way outside of preaching the gospel. Mancini believes that a lot of Sunday creativity, from eye-popping props to outlandish stunts, is driven by an unhealthy bravado masking shame in the gospel. That Christians have become ashamed of the gospel. They've lost confidence in the gospel. It's just not enough. So we need to help it out. How do we help out the gospel? And it becomes about our power. And our might, rather than his might and his power. Nothing you can offer can transform somebody's life. Now you can have power to blow things up. But the power to put the pieces back together again, you better preach Christ and him crucified. You better start talking about the blood of Jesus Christ. You better start lifting him up, talking about him, talking about what he has done. Why? Because there's not a program that can put somebody's life back together again. And it's time for the church to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God to salvation. We might do a lot of things, but we want you to know what's the primary, what's more important. And that's the power of Jesus Christ. In fact, Bill Hull says this, the gospel you preach determines the disciples you make. You start preaching a gospel of entertainment to consumers, and what you're going to do is you're going to make consumers. Because what gospel you preach are the disciples that you're going to make. It's all about the show. It's all about the program. People will come for programs. And people will come for a show. But if it's about that we were lost, dead in trespasses and sins, without hope, without Christ, without God, aliens, and then in the fullness of time, Born of a woman, born under the law. He came to go to a cross. That has the power to take broken pieces and 
put them back together again. I, I, I did an internship, counseling internship years ago. I would come home so frustrated. I'd come home, talk to Rachel, and, and I, I would say, I feel like I'm putting band-aids on things. It's not that they're not good interventions. It's not that they're not good things to help people. The problem was is that everywhere we go, there we are. We are not changed. And the only way we truly get transformed is by the renewing of our mind. And the only way people's minds get transformed and renewed is when a preacher begins to preach and teach the word of God. And it begins to transform their thinking. And that heals marriages. That all of a sudden now we can get good skills and things that will help us with interpersonal relationships and a lot of other things. But if we start without the gospel... try to get one piece attached and it falls off when we move to the next piece and can I tell you the church has nothing to offer the world in the way of relevance anyway because the world can always find something a more pleasing alternative somewhere else and you will kill yourself trying to please people and to please this world. You will never accomplish it. The moment you get there, enjoy that Sunday because next week there's going to be a desire for something different and something more. But if people can have the gospel preached to them, if their hearts can be transformed by the gospel, all of a sudden, amen, they're going to be faithful. They're going to be disciples, students, followers of Jesus Christ. And so we preach Christ and Him crucified. Because after all, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How are we going to be saved? It's not just repentance. It's not just Acts 2.38. In fact, salvation goes beyond just repentance of sins and, and being born again initially. Uh, the Word of God and salvation is a work and sanctification continues to work in our lives. And so as a preaching word and the teaching of the Word continues, we continue to grow in the image, the stature, the fullness of Christ. God's not done with us. It still happens through His Word. And so we preach the Word. It's an in-season, out-of-season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering. Even in Acts 6, when they were having some issues in the church. The Hellenistic widows and the Hebrew widows. The apostles understood one thing. We need to address this problem. It's okay to have good structure in a church and good leadership. It's essential, in fact. We have to have it. God designed it that way. We need to figure out what we're going to do this. We need to find men and qualified men and who are anointed, who have good a testimony. We need to, uh, been to put them in that ministry. But the, they understood one thing we cannot get away from. We have to give ourselves daily to prayer and the ministry of the word. To where they said they filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. Would you stand with me tonight? I want somebody to know. That if you want a move of God in your service, open up that Bible and start preaching the Word of God. You want transformation, start preaching and teaching the Word of God. It works. Paul said, I've got all the confidence in that. I'm not ashamed of that. Everywhere I go, this is what I do. I preach Christ and Him crucified.
I know there's going to be some that says, you know what, we're, we're seeking after this wisdom. and We have different desires, but by, I preach Christ because it's the power of God. So if God chose the message preached, if God chose that, let me ask you this question, what are you choosing? If the apostles gave themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, what are we giving ourselves to? Because you realize that I don't want the first apostolic church of Aurora where I'm at. I don't ever want to walk away and look in the rear view mirror and see a place where the glory of the Lord was so powerful. But now it's just become a consumeristic social event. And it's a ruins. Because just like others before, said, you know what, I think I want to be like that, and like that, and like that. Maybe, maybe even good ideas, but I got away from the power of God. Pharmacist Robert Courtney made $19 million as a pharmacist. It's pretty good. Tragically, it was from fraud. What he would do is he would take medications for cancer patients and he would dilute them in order to make a profit. He would add things to them, water them down where he could make a profit. Over a period of nine years, he diluted an estimated 98,000 prescriptions, affected over 4,000 patients. At least 17 cancer patients died after receiving diluted forms of chemotherapy. 17. He was entrusted with the noble vocation of handing out life-saving medication. But for other desires, he diluted it, watered it down where he could make money. word says that preach without fear or favor. Why? Because when it's all said and done, the blood of souls can't be on my hands. So you place your confidence in whatever you want to place your confidence in. But you're looking at one preacher right here. But I want you to know I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to preach it every Sunday because it's the power of God to salvation. I don't want to dilute it. I don't want to water it down because the souls of men and women are at stake. They need to hear the whole counsel of God. Oh, would you reach out to him? Would you receive that word? Would you make that commitment tonight? God, we are a congregation tonight that are committed to your gospel, the power of God.